This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 379, and today we are talking about books being released on September 13th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hello, Liberty. How are you? I'm good. It's like a regular day here where, (laughs) you know, 18 million things went wrong and I was like, can we record later? Because... That's just like a regular day. If it's not me, it's the other host. You know, it's like yep. everyone's life is so wild all the time and unpredictable. I was going to say, I would venture to say that that is like life in general for a lot of people yeah, these days. Which is, is why like most of our patients is like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah, totally fine. Yeah. I still always feel really bad, though. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm not going to make it if I don't fix all these things and put out these fires before... <laughs> Before we start recording. If we had been recording last week and there wasn't a fifth week, I would have absolutely had to have been like, you know, hey, because as a lot of people know, like I somehow got smacked with everything but COVID. (laughs) Yeah. An ear infection in both ears, a sinus infection and tonsillitis. And I had only gone in there because I thought I had strep. And they're like, no, you don't have strep. But you have everything else. (laughs) I was like, oh, cool. Except COVID. (laughs) Yep, exactly. So anyway, we're here. We're doing it. Well, I'm glad that you're feeling better. Yes, so much better. I I did tell Liberty, I'm pretty sure as we speak, I might be feeling vaccine side effects. So, you know, if my energy suddenly starts to to flag, (laughs) we'll all know why. But I'm really excited about all my books. So I don't think that'll happen. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's another big day for books. Um, It's like, you know, last week was like the biggest new release day of the year, I'm pretty sure. But this one is is no slouch. This one is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, for people who don't know, like, you, you know, we each have a different week of the month, obviously. And I've always been, in, like, very, very jealous of uh, Lib and Danica for having week one, because that's usually, like, releases a plenty. And then week two, I'm sometimes like, oh, but the, I had so many to pick from. It was a really nice problem to have. Yeah. So I started doing something new with new releases. Speaking of new yeah. releases, I segued. I love segueing. Yeah, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started a Patreon. No, I can't say the word. Why can't I say the word? <laughs> I just, I was going to try not to laugh, but I have yeah, to. No. I, well, Patreon. <laughs> well, Rebecca says Patreon. So Patreon, I was going to say, yeah, because like patronize. I don't, I don't know. know. Okay, let me try this again. Uh, I started a Patreon. It's really fun. Um, as you know, uh, you might have heard that I read a lot. And mm-hmm. I have these mm-hmm. awesome jobs at Book Riot where I do stuff with new releases, but I can't talk about every single new release that comes out on the show or it would be you know 87 hours long each episode and i can't talk about every single book in the newsletter because you know wordpress would be like stop it you know (laughs) yes so i i try to pick like my favorites and the best you know of the week to use for like the newsletter if you don't sign up for new books you should and you know i talk about in depth like a few books um and then of course here on the show i talk about books in depth but i have an unabridged 
list that I keep of like every book that I find out that is coming dun, out dun, that dun. day. And so you can sign up. It's called What's My Page Again? Which I, I thought know. was really clever because I was like, oh, it's like the Blink-182 song. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so all of my friends and family are like, I don't get it. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so, so you can find it. It's it's just, I think it's under like patreon.com slash Liberty Hardy, but... Yay. It's really fun, and and I just love telling people about books as much as I possibly can. <laughs> I really do. Like, I really believe, and I used to think it was it was dumb to say this, but I no longer believe that because I really believe it is my, like, goal. Not my goal. It is my purpose in life to share the book information. And you're so good at it. Thank you. So it's been Yay. really fun doing that, and... I still love writing. The, you know, some people are like, oh, I can't believe you left Book Riot. I was like, I didn't leave Book Riot. I would never leave Book Riot. Like, the day Liberty leaves Book Riot, you will know because my Instagram will just be images of me crying myself in the corner. <laughs> like, no, it's, no, we're keeping Lib. <laughs> just, you know, more book information, more places to get it. So. Yes. And we're going to talk about books today. Very excited about um, but before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Okay, so my first book for today is a graphic memoir out from the amazing people at Joining Quarterly. It is called Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton. If Kate Beaton's name sounds familiar, that is because she is the very well-known Canadian artist who is known best for her online comic Hark a Vagrant. She also has two hilarious children's books called King Baby and The Princess and the Pony. And Hark a Vagrant is just, oh, so funny. She's been doing it online forever. I don't actually know if she still does it, but this is a memoir about her time working in the oil sands in Alberta. Beaton is from Cape Breton in Canada, uh, which is an area that she calls full of haves and have-nots, but mostly have-nots. And so it's just assumed that when people and families get older, they will go out west for work. Like, that's where the work is. Like, Cape Breton, uh, they don't have a lot. And Beaton went to school for art. Uh, and, and this is like 2005 when it starts. You know, she's graduated. She has a BA in art. But uh, she doesn't want any of the jobs that are available to her. Her mother, her parents were very supportive of her going to school for art. But now they're like, you need to be a teacher or a nurse. And she's like, I didn't go to school for that. You know, I don't want to do that. I mean, those are all great jobs, but I don't want to do that. You know, and she's like, I have this crushing student loan debt and I have an opportunity to pay it off really soon if I go out west and work in Alberta. The, there's been an oil boom in Alberta at this time. Um, you know, They're drilling all over the place and people who go out there make really good money. So she moves to Alberta. She gets a job. She works in the tool crib, which basically is she stands behind a counter and she hands out tools to the guys who work in the field. It's it's almost entirely guys. And as soon as she gets there, she begins to question her decision to be there. It's freezing, freezing cold, like like negative 45. And she barely knows anyone there. And she's surrounded by men. The, they estimate that for every 50 men who work in the oil fields, there's one woman. And all of a sudden, she's receiving this attention that she hadn't been getting before, that she doesn't want. They make sexist remarks to her all the time. She gets comments. The men line up just to see her. 
they make like excuses to come to her counter and talk to her. She gets hit on. They ask her out. They ask her if she has a boyfriend. You know, they one guy explains to her that she would be a four in real life, but in the oil sands, she's an eight. Like they just say like terrible things to her. And this is this is no fun for her, obviously. But she finds out that the last girl who worked the job that she had, some guy said something like horrific to her and she reported him and he was fired and and everyone was mad at her. You know, because, you know, she should have just kept her mouth shut and, you know, smiled and taken it. Um, and so, you know, Beaton is really worried about you know, losing her job or, you know, making everyone angry. And so she just kind of laughs it off and, you know, because she, she doesn't want any trouble. And this goes on day in and day out. You know, she feels unsafe. You know, when she's waiting for the bus in the morning, uh, men pull up and try to hire her. They think she's a sex worker because she's a woman on the oil fields and there are some women who work there and also work as sex workers. The doorknob to her room uh, first has an apartment, but then she gets a different job and she has to take a room uh, with all the other workers. And the doorknob to her room is rattled most nights. Like she can hear people trying to get in. Um, and she tries to tell her boss this. Like at first she tries to tell her boss and he chastises her and says, you know, you should just deal with it. And then he's like, you know, if you really want me to fire someone over this, I will. And she's like, oh, I don't, you know, if, if you fire someone, you know, it's going to make it harder for me. You know, it's, it's a no-win situation for her, you know, like if she can get somebody fired and because they deserve to be fired for the things that they do, but also it'll make it harder for her when she works there. And it's also about about the men who work who work in these oil fields. Uh, you know, there's just these really tough stories about their lives. You know, lots of them, you know, most of their family has done this. They, you know, it's like working in a coal mine, like it's like they're oil field families. You know, they're away from their family for months and years at a time. They're missing their families. Drug use is rampant there um, because they are drug tested, but cocaine leaves the system after a day. So there's a lot of drug abuse and there's serious injuries that occur on the job. And, you know, Beaton wonders, like, is this how they would behave at home? Like, they're very isolated, you know? And she wonders to herself, is this how they would behave at home? Or is does this place turn them into these people who behave like they wouldn't normally behave? You know, she doesn't want to be driven out of a job. You know, she wants to be left alone. You know, she wants them to stop behaving the way that they do towards her. Another woman who works there writes an article about the way that they're treated and people get very angry at her, even women, saying that they're lucky to have that job. You know, somebody else could take their place who would appreciate it. You know, these are held as very sacred places because they're very important to families because they are making really good money there. You know, and it's kind of like a badge of honor to have worked in these places. And she also took this job forgetting about the environmental impact or, or not realizing the envir environmental impact that this would have. And, you know, she just wanted a job and wanted the money. It's heartbreaking, this book. It's a powerful look at necessity, capitalism, sexism, and trauma. The story is illustrated in shades of gray, which go with the tone of the book, you know, because it is a lot about a lot of serious stuff. But it's excellent. I, I'm very glad that I read it. I do want to give content warnings for sexism, sexual harassment, sexual assault, chemical use and abuse, injury and death, racism, and animal death. It is serious, but it is good. It is Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton. That sounds phenomenal. It's so good. I'm pretty sure this will be, you know, an Eisner winner. Ooh, good to know. I'll write that one down. Okay, so for my first pick, I'm going with How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz. And I 
love this book so, so much. I was trying to kind of rehearse what I was going to say about it because I tended to sound very gushy and not specific. So let's let's see how this goes. But um, this is from the author of Dominicana, which was a big title uh, a couple of years ago, I think now. I What is time? It is a really quick read, and I'm always so impressed when somebody can pack such a big, beautiful story into, you know, kind of a slim volume. It's it's less than 200. I think it's like 195 pages and a really quick listen in an audio form, too. It was like six hours or significantly less if you speed things up the way I do, which was really fitting because this is narrated by a Dominican woman and, you know, as Spanish speakers, we, we speak fast <laughs> more often than not. So tonally, it felt more appropriate to speed it up. Um, so this takes place in the recession. So like 2008-ish, I believe. I can't remember if it's right when it happens, but it's in New York, specifically the Bronx. And our main character is someone named Cara Romero. She's a Dominicana, like I said. She's in her mid-50s and she suddenly finds herself out of a job because the factory she worked at for decades just like, shut its doors and relocated to Costa Rica. So we get to know her and her whole story through this series of unemployment counseling sessions. And like, if you do the audio format, it's great because you hear sort of like the sounds of Cara getting on and off the train, like little footsteps and like open, and it's, it's theatrical enough. Like it's got these little bits. It's not just, you know, straight narration. And she has this, you know, they got a, a I believe a Dominican woman, definitely Latina to read it. And so her tone is just so, so perfect because the book really flows really seamlessly through English and Spanish, not in a way that you would not understand it if you don't speak Spanish. There's plenty, and you know, it is primarily in English, but with some really gorgeous Spanish thrown in. And so in each of these unemployment counseling sessions where she's talking about, you know, hey, I got Lego from this factory, but like I've been making it okay because of El Obama. <laughs> she refers to like his whole administration as El Obama, Obama. And again, I don't know if I can do this book justice because it's just so wonderful. But so she goes into these sessions, which are in Upper Manhattan, you know, she treks from the Bronx and always asks for a glass of water when she sits down. And then when she's asked these simple questions, like, okay, so when can you work? She explodes into these hilarious and like ugh, everything. They're, they're touching, they're heartbreaking, they're funny, they're maddening, they're, they're many ings. But these vignettes that paint a portrait of her life and her experience as a woman who immigrated, you know, from the Dominican Republic to New York. Her childhood was spent in the DR, and then she tells us about, you know, her marriage to a violent man, what it was like to raise her son as a single mother, and the reasons for their eventual estrangement. None of this is really spoilery, because it's all hinted at, and if not, ex you know, explicitly stated in the publisher copy. But um, she also talks about, like, her cafecito rituals, and how she cares for this La Vieja Caridad, who is an old woman that lives in her building and, you know, lives alone, and how she cares for her sister's kids, and her complicated relationship with her sister. But... She, for every week, she's also like always has another reason why she can't take a job or why she couldn't make an interview or like why a job wasn't right for her. And I confess that for a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, I would get kind of frustrated with her. She's a deeply imperfect person. And the more we learn about her through each of these sessions, it's really tempting to perhaps write her off and fault her for a variety of these sort of not always particularly savory behaviors. But to do so would be to ignore the totality of, I'm going to sound really <laughs> like the human experience, but that's the best way I can think of to put it. To, you know, to write her off would be kind of reductive because she is a complicated character who demonstrates like all the layers and the nuance and the complexity of the, what it's like to be a woman, specifically the immigrant experience, the effects of violence and unprocessed generational trauma that, you know, gets passed on because it's not addressed and how quickly we are as a society to dismiss 
like care work, the kind of work that people like gotta do in their communities that is not, you know, a technical job or like maybe isn't paid, but that is so essential to the fabric of that community. So in between her stories, we get commentary on gentrification and loss and classism, you name it. But again, she is such a funny narrator. Like if you are Latin American, I think you will see a lot of what I call like the comadreando. Comadre is a word for like technically the person that is your like godparent's parent. Uh, anyway, it's it's a word that kind of implies like sitting down to like have juicy gossip with a person and you can tell the person who's interviewing her is a little bit like, okay, well, that's not technical we're here to talk about. <laughs> but she weaves these gorgeous stories that are so vulnerable and personal and in it you see just the the flaws and I don't know, you know, the generation before us is is different and maybe not as you know, progressive leaning in some ways as we might want them to be. Not everybody is, but that is an example that I know I've faced in the Latino community. And this portrait of this character is one that just sort of forces you again to look at like the totality of who a person is, how certain behaviors or things that we have learned from the experiences that came before us and that it is possible to grow and change. And if you will just laugh your face off in the middle of all these stories too, and that is the beauty of it is that in the middle of that laughter, you'll suddenly kind of find yourself, you know, shedding a small tear all in 200 pages. So this book is beautiful. I love it. The audiobook is narrated by Kimberly Wetherill and Rosemary Almonte. Uh, trigger warnings are, are references to homophobia, partner abuse, uh, child abuse, none of which is particularly graphic that I can recall. But such a wonderful book. Like this is Angie Cruz just getting better and better. I can't recommend it enough. Again, that is How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz, which is uh, an English or anglification of a phrase that's called, uh, that's como no agarse en un vaso de agua, which is essentially saying, like, don't don't make a mountain out of a molehill kind of thing. Anyway, I'm done. Love this book. I'm very excited to read it. Oh, so good. I haven't read it yet because I knew you were going to talk about it, so. Yes, so lovely. I have a short story collection to tell you about now, which I don't talk about short story collections enough, but, you know, I'm going to do it today. It is Bliss Montage Stories by Ling Ma. Uh, Lingma is the author of Severance, which is not the show, different thing, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it was a novel that came out a few years ago. It was a huge hit about a young woman who works in a Bible publishing company and is so uninterested in everything that is going on, including her own life, that she doesn't realize that a pandemic has wiped out most of the population, you know, before she she figures it out. And first of all, I want to talk about the cover because it might be my favorite cover of the year. It's a close-up of a bag of oranges, but it's so striking, and it's bright orange, and I got the galley, and it had this cover, and I thought, wow, I love this. It's so bright and fun. But then I got the finished book, and it was like they said, how can we make this cover even cooler? So they made the spine and the back jacket bright grape purple, and I was dying. I was like, I love this cover so much, I want to lick it. It's so amazing. Anyway, but enough about me and my weird book thing. <laughs> so these are eight stories about human behavior and curiosity and loneliness and connection and some of the horrors of just being alive. Uh, some are slightly speculative and some are more than slightly speculative. The first two stories involve a woman uh, who has been assaulted by a boyfriend and it does go into it a bit in each story, just so a heads up, and I'm going to mention it a couple more times here. So the first story is about a woman who lives in a very large house with her husband, and they have a wing off the back of the house where her 100 ex-boyfriends live, including the boyfriend who abused her, which I mentioned. 
The second story is about that boyfriend, but in a different scenario, like not related to the first character. And she follows him home one day. Like she sees him on the street many years later and she follows him home because she has a curiosity. You know, these stories are about, uh, you know, curiosity and, and, you know, when we are damaged, you know, what happens to those who damage us? You know, what are their lives like? What do we owe the people who come after us who become a part of their lives? There's also a story about a woman and her friend who have this very toxic friendship uh, and they take a drug that makes them invisible. There's a story about the intergenerational effects of immigration and what that means for a family. These are stories about shared experiences, but also how different our experiences can be from one another. Like you can live the same thing, but, you know, have two very different takes on it. Also, sometimes the absurd experience of being a person in the world and the things that we hold on to. These stories are sharp and wildly interesting and brilliant. I do, you know, I hate saying anything, even the slightest bit negative, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I am going to say that the narrator in each story does seem to be a bit like each one, even though they're in very different situations and and worlds. Uh, So I would suggest possibly reading them apart to keep it from feeling like that one person is experiencing all of these things. But it it didn't keep me from enjoying the book. I love the book. I do want to give content warnings for violence, partner abuse, chemical use and abuse, racism, and trauma. This is Bliss Montage Stories by Ling Ma. Let me know if you lick the cover. I absolutely just looked it up while you were talking. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, so, like, the it's just a photo of oranges. Yes. But it's beautiful. But then, oh, like, like Young Liberty, like, orange and purple color combination. That was, like, my favorite after just, black oh. and pink. So, you know, I was just wild just so happy like showing it to my husband he's like okay then <laughs> <laughs> well and there's something i don't know about the like pl- the cellophane or whatever that's on yeah. it too it's just very very catching like there's yeah. you can't look away from it it is orange <laughs> it's great <laughs> awesome um my next cover is also very orange but not in that way but anyway it's people person by candice cardi williams which i just discovered i think i've been saying incorrectly for you couple years thought it was candace it's candies according to the audiobook um so, oh this book i loved it so much it's such an excellent follow-up candice i almost did it candice cardi williams is the author of queenie which is a book that i loved when it came out several years ago and we're once again spending time with a well sort of a jamaican british family i say sort of because um our main character well one of the main characters is a man named cyril cyril pennington and he is a complicated man he himself is jamaican british and he considers himself quote unquote more of a people person than a father (laughs) and he has been out here spreading his seed (laughs) amongst the citizens of britain he has five kids with four different women and that's why i said that not everybody's jamaican british because not all of the women are and anyway he is extremely absent from all of their lives in you know all the ways but one day he wakes up and he's all, you know, oh, I should go pick up all my kids. And so he zigzags around South London in his beloved gold Jeep to go get these five kids. They're not expecting him, but he's going to go pick them up for, you know, a bonding day of fun. So we meet the five you know, kids. They're Dimple, Lizzie, Nikisha, Danny, and Prince. Their ages range from, I believe, toddler all the way to teen. And it's every bit as awkward as you might expect when this you know, emotionally distant and detached man who's never really cared to be a part of their lives decides to gather all his kids for a day for like some forced bonding and then it kind of expects them to be overwhelmed with gratitude. You know, spoiler, they're not. And this is all at the beginning. 
The book then flashes forward, and we sort of focus a little more on Dimples, who is now 30. Her life is sort of stagnant. She's trying to be a YouTube, I think YouTube, possibly Instagram, TikTok, anyway, an influencer of the video, you know, kind. And so she records like she is, but really she has a very small, albeit loyal, but still pretty, pretty small following, not really like true influencer level, but she keeps at it. She also has this absolutely awful boyfriend with whom she's sort of constantly on and off, but they're allegedly off for reals this time, which is great because he is both very, very like psychologically manipulative and abusive. So she's feeling sort of directionless and sad and alone and, you know, not sure what to do when things take a very, very dramatic turn at the event that I won't spoil, uh, but brings her and her half-siblings together again. And what starts as a, shall we call it, creative solution to this big, big, big problem quickly gets even stickier for reasons that you will have to discover on your own. Again, that's all I can really say, but oh my gosh, these characters. So like Nikisha is the oldest and she's very much the kind of leader, fixer, doer. She's a mother of two small children, you know, takes no nonsense. Lizzie is the same age as Dimple. She's a medical student in a, like a stable relationship with another woman and she sort of bristles the hardest against the dad and she's very hung up on the fact that like you, y'all are my half siblings, like don't get it twisted sort of thing. Danny is a gym buff and I believe works in, I can't remember if it's like construction or what have you, but he's sort of a himbo with a heart of gold and he's has a small son that he's determined to do to better by, you know, be a better dad than the example that he had. And then Prince is the youngest and he's just, you know, full of young person energy and commentary kind of taken after his dad. He's a total ladies man, like in every scene, he's on the phone with a different quote unquote friend. Uh, and then again, there's Dimple, who is emotional, like, you know, is nothing, it takes nothing to make her cry. And she doesn't know really who she is or what she wants. And she sort of lives her life in search of male validation for reasons that are probably pretty obvious. And it's really their relationship and how they come together to solve this impossible problem that is so wonderful to watch. It's, again, in moments, very tender, but it's also, like, Candice Carty-Williams writes very, very funny dialogue and characters. It, they discuss, you know, in the course of those conversations, we get commentary on police discrimination and police violence, toxic relationships. Again, generational trauma seems to be a theme of some of my books. Uh, but there's also tons of pop culture references. And it's, the again, the dynamic between the siblings that is both, like, snappy and fun. You know, they're they're bickering one minute and then fiercely defensive one, one another in the next. There's a lot of examination of identity and what it means to be family, like the limits of what we do and don't have to accept about the people we happen to be biologically linked to. And it's just so good. Like it starts off with some like capery vibes almost, and then kind of again transforms into something deeper about family. And I just loved every minute of it. I, I started reading this in print and finished the second half in audio for like character pronunciation types of reasons, and it did not disappoint. So good. I completely forgot to write down the narrator, um, but it's, I highly recommend both formats. So trigger warnings in this one for fat phobia, partner abuse, racism. Um, I believe that is all. Uh, but again, nothing like super, super graphic, uh, but there is stuff on the page for sure. And that again is People Person by Candice Carty-Williams. I too really enjoyed that book. Loved it. I did not listen to it. I read it, but I thought it was excellent. All right. And now we're going to hear from another sponsor. Um, so those are some of today's releases that we have read and loved that we are excited about. And now we are going to talk about more books uh, that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I happen to have read my next two, which is very exciting. First, I'm going to tell you about A Very Typical Family by Sierra Godfrey, 
which is a debut that I absolutely loved. And honestly, I didn't leave this with this one because I read this a very long time ago and I'm concerned that I don't remember all of the details correctly. I had hoped to get to it before the show. I wanted to read it again, but I did not. So you'll just have to bear with me. But it's so good. It is a very funny, dark debut. It's got that magic that I love about books that take some serious subject matter and still make it light and have you laughing. It's about a young woman named Natalie. She's in her early 30s. She has a job that she loves at an architectural firm, and she has a live-in boyfriend, and she's getting ready to get a big promotion. Her boyfriend has been helping her prepare for this possibility of an upcoming promotion. It's all but assured to be hers. She's been working really hard towards it, and the day that she's supposed to get it, her boss calls her into the office and says, "Uh, we're giving this promotion to your boyfriend. And she's devastated. And her boyfriend is like, oh, babe, I had no idea this was going to happen. But, you know, this is still great for us because, you know, more money and it's so great. And I'm so sorry. You know, I know you wanted it, but like, you know, at least like we're going to be working together still and blah, blah, blah. And then someone in the office says, "Uh, hey, your boyfriend was specifically campaigning against you and asking for the job. And she's like, "Okay, I'm done. Uh, And right as like this shock is settling in. She finds out that her mother has died. Her mother lives on the West Coast, or had lived on the West Coast in California. That's where Natalie grew up. And a lawyer contacts her and says that, you know, your mother has died and she has these stipulations in her will. Uh, She had this very large, beautiful Victorian mansion where Natalie and her siblings grew up. But in order for them to inherit it to, you know, whether they're going to sell it or live in it or whatever, she and her two siblings must all get together first, and the lawyer must confirm that they are all together in one spot. And this will be easier said than done, because 15 years earlier, when Natalie was 17, something happened that culminated with Natalie calling the police on her older brother and sister, and they went to jail. And she hasn't spoken with them since, but she's like, I'm, you know, how hard can this be? I'm just going to go out there, I have to see them for five minutes, and and we get the house and whatever. Uh, So she takes her cat whose name I'm forgetting, but is a wild, wild, wild animal. Uh, And she takes her stuff and she goes out to California, moves into the house. And her sister shows up very shortly after with her niece, but they can't find her brother. Her brother lives in the area and she goes to where he works and they're like, oh, he's not around right now. And she's trying to track him down and she just wants to get this over with. And in the meantime, she meets a very handsome man who works with her brother and she starts hanging out with him And she learns a lot about her family and her sister and her niece and her family, like, along the way. It's freaking delightful. It's very funny. You know, it it captures how fractured families can get. You know, I like to read the reviews on Goodreads after I read a book. And some people found the, the drama that separated them unrealistic. But as someone who has a family that does not put the fun in dysfunctional, I found it to be very realistic. And... Some people thought that the characters made bad decisions, but I think that is a very good definition of just being human. And my my only quibble with the book is that Natalie seems pretty nonchalant when her cat gets loose or later when her cat goes missing. I myself would not be able to sleep or do anything else until my cat was found. But I'm going to give a minor spoiler about the cat here, so cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. But don't worry, the cat is fine. I was worried, but everything turns out okay for the cat. All in all, it is a really entertaining and funny and heartwarming, charming debut. 
I do want to give content warnings for gaslighting, sexism, harassment, illness, loss of a loved one, chemical use and overdose, domestic violence, and violence. It is A Very Typical Family by Sierra Godfrey. That also sounds phenomenal. Oh my goodness! I picked it up and I was like, I like this cover. It has a folding <laughs> chair on it. I have a tattoo of a folding chair. I'm going to read this book. That is my logic with this one. And I freaking loved it. I love when stuff happens like that. Why'd you pick up his book? Folding chair. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yep. That's the whole reason. So very Liberty. <laughs> uh, I have also read my next pick and loved it. So yay, I did not yay. read both, but I have read this one. And it's so good. It actually came out last week, but there was no way I was not going to talk about this because it's just so much fun called Our Shadows Have Claws. It's edited by Yamile Saeed Mendes and Amparo Ortiz. Amparo? Amparo Ortiz, I believe. Illustrated by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. It is a collection of monster tales set across Latin America and the diaspora. It's inspired by Latin American folklore and legends. So it's just, oh, everything I want. Vampires, zombies, shapeshifters, men who come steal kids in the middle of the night and put them in a sack, which is a very specific like Latin American threat. Like that, that man's going to steal you if you don't behave. So you know, terrifying <laughs> for those reasons. Uh, cannibals. Like there's just so much stuff in this collection. It's got horror. It's got some magic. They're not, you know, there's they're differing levels of like spine tingling. So I, I can't even begin to tell you what my favorite stories are. There is a Romeo and Juliet type story that starts off the collection strong. It's about star-crossed lovers from feuding families where the young woman is from like a monster hunting family. It's a sort of tradition where like when you turn kind of like a quinceanera essentially, like once you come of a certain age, like now you get inducted into the monster hunting ceremony. And then her secret boyfriend, who she's keeping from her parents, who is not a monster hunter, <laughs> has some different opinions on how these alleged monsters should be handled. There's a story of a young woman who is mourning the loss of her grandmother, who is now being haunted ever since, you know, her passing by, shall we say, things that go bump in the night. And it's uh, it's kind of all I want to say about that one. <laughs> There's a, a queer girl's coming out that takes a deadly turn when her boyfriend's really aggressive behavior brings about the appearance of this very bloody Colombian spirit. <laughs> like, it's just... All the things that I wanted in this is exactly what I was given. Like, it's it's so good. It's it's paired with this really kind of beautiful black and white art, which again, tonally just sort of works. It's chock full of commentary on racism and queerness, gender-based violence, colorism, state-sanctioned violence. So there are trigger warnings for all of the things that I just said, though I also read this one a little bit ago. I don't remember any of it being so graphic or what have you that I, I you know, I couldn't continue. Y'all know I'm a bit of a weenie about stuff like that, and I was fine. And this list of contributors, I won't read them all, but they include like Chantel Acevedo, Courtney Alameda, Julia Alvarez, and Davila Cardinal, Shamile Said Mendes, uh, who else is in this? Lilian Rivera, Jenny Torres Sanchez. Like, it's just so, man, so much talent, just chock full of talent and these wonderful stories that are, I think, perfect for like this approaching time of the year with this, you know, gorgeous Latin American flair. So yeah, loved it so much. I, I wish I could tell you more about all of them, but I want you to discover the stories on your own. That's Our Shadows Have Claws, edited by Shamile Said Mendes, Amparo Ortiz, and it's illustrated by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. All right. So now I'm going to tell you about the book that I have been most excited about this year. You probably already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but out today is Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. The third book in the Locked Tomb trilogy, which is now going to be more than a trilogy, uh, which started with Gideon the Ninth, my book obsession. Possibly 
probably my favorite book of the last five years. I've read it 13 times now. And the sequel, Harrow the Ninth, came out not last year, but the year before that. And we were very excited because we had been told that Electo the Ninth was coming out this year. But then last fall, they made an announcement that, no, we're getting Nona the Ninth and Electo is coming later, which is just like another book. So exciting. Lost my mind. Um, and I'm not going to tell you anything about this book because I'm kind of worried that in my enthusiasm, I will spoil <laughs> something about the other books if you haven't read them. So I will just say that, you know, you should pick up Gideon the Ninth. It's about a swordswoman for the Ninth House, this spooky house that's like full of skeletons and death, basically. It's like the death house. And Gideon uh, is the swordswoman for Harrow. Well, she is now. She wasn't at the beginning of the book, but that's not a spoiler. She becomes the swordswoman for Harrow, who is a necromancer and heir to the Ninth House family. Uh, they hate each other. They do not get along at all. Uh, Gideon tries to escape several times, and at the beginning of the book, Harrow catches her trying to escape again and tells her that the Emperor has sent word that he wants all the heirs of the houses to come to the first house and have a competition. And if they win the competition, whoever wins gets to be immortal by the Emperor's side. So Hera wants Gideon to come with her and says, you know, if you help me become, you know, immortal, I will set you free. And Gideon's like, well, got nothing else going on. Might as well do this. And, of course, it's not that simple. The first house is a big rotting structure that is run mostly by skeletons. And it turns out that someone, or something, wishes them harm. And it turns into a locked planet horror mystery. It's so funny and so weird and has a huge rabid following. I feel like I'm always telling people about this book, but then when I go online, if you go on Etsy, there is so much fan art. Yes. People are just so creative. It's amazing. Just absolutely gorgeous stuff. And I know a lot of people are really excited about this book. So either, you know, you're learning about Gideon for the first time. Hooray! I'm very envious. Or, you know, you're very excited to know that Nona the Ninth is out today. It is Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. How many times have you read Nona? Two. Okay. <laughs> I've read Gideon 13 times, I've read Harrow three times, and I've read Nona twice now. I figured it was absolutely more than one. <laughs> Just you know, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, we'll get into other books we're reading later, but I am quite literally finally reading Gideon as we speak. I'm like 50 pages in, Yay! but I'm like, oh, this is going to be a ride. <laughs> so I'm very excited. <laughs> yes. Um, so my next pick is one that I've also started, but just haven't had a chance to finish, and I'm loving what I've read so far, and that is Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott. Jenna Rose Nethercott is the author of The Lumberjack's Dove, which is also a book that you may have read and loved. This one is inspired by Eastern European folklore, specifically like Jewish and Russian history, and it's a retelling of the legend of Baba Yaga. So the Yaga siblings are Bellatine and Isaac, and they've been estranged since childhood, and their relationship is not good, because obviously they're estranged. It's very, like, resentful, and or full of resentment. And they learn that they are getting an inheritance. So they, okay, finally, you know, agree to meet, only they find out, once they do, that they're not getting some, you know, boatload of cash, but a house. And it's not a normal house. It's a sentient house on chicken legs. <laughs> and they, this can be seen on the cover. It's really great. Um, the house is called Thistlefoot. And it has arrived all the way from the Yaga's ancestral home outside of Kyiv, which is obviously now a Ukrainian city, but I believe in the framing of the book is actually still Russian territory. And the house did not come unaccompanied. Uh, they don't know that. But this nefarious kind of wicked character known only as the Long Shadow Man it has tracked it 
all the way to, you know, American shores. And he's now, he has some secrets, some really dark and like, you know, secrets about the Yaga bloodline, I guess is the easiest way to put it. So as Bellatine and Isaac head out with this house on, I love this part, uh, the final cross-country tour of their family's traveling theater show, uh, the Long Shadow Man is on their trail the whole time and like will not rest until he reaches the siblings with, again, not good intentions. I've heard a lot of buzz about this book, uh, specifically from some of our contributors talking about how we're finally seeing some great like Jewish lit. And we, I mean, there's always been Jewish lit, but we're just starting to see some better representation. So I've, I've heard this book plugged by several people, and it's absolutely delightful from the parts that I've read so far. And again, that's Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott. So I'm very excited to read this book, too. And I don't want the show to turn into a tour of Liberty's tattoos. But I also <laughs> have a tattoo of Bobby Yaga's chicken leg house. You know, so apparently a very tattoo theme today. But um, yeah, but I have it. I have it from uh, Hellboy because Baba Yaga plays a big (laughs) part in Hellboy's origin story. And I just I love the chicken leg house. And that's how I I learned about Baba Yaga. So I'm very excited. Oh, apparently I've been saying that wrong. Well, I used to say it wrong, too. And then Jan, who works with us, he corrected me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I hear it. I literally have heard this, the legend, talked about so many times in media and often from Jewish people. And they've always been saying it the other way. So I completely like that. I feel so bad. Well... It's possible. It's possible that, you know, I'm only saying it because he corrected me, but I mean... Yeah, no, and I, I work with Jan a lot, too. <laughs> that is correct, so... Whichever it is, that is what we... Yes, yes. ...will say going forward. <laughs> we're, we're learning things today. So, yes. Um, yes, very excited. So, now we are going to talk about paperback releases, Boop. which there are so many today, I had to mm-hmm. pare it down. Kicking it off with Mercy Suarez, Can't Dance by Meg Medina... Who is so prolific. I keep missing that that she has more books out because so prolific. Uh, This is the second book in the Newbery Award winning middle grade series, which started with Mercy Suarez Changes Gears. Also out, nonfiction, People Love Dead Jews, Reports from a Haunted Present by Dara Horn. This was the winner of the 2021 National Jewish Book Award for Contemporary Jewish Life and Practice. This got all the stars, probably the most highly reviewed book of last year, made all the lists, and it's a look at the exploitation of Jewish history. Bad Fat Black Girl, Notes from a Trapped Feminist by Cecily Bowen. Bowen is an entertainment journalist, and this book combines memoir, cultural history, and feminist theory. Assembly by Natasha Brown, a novel of race and privilege about a black British woman getting ready to attend a fancy event with her boyfriend at his family's estate. Five Decembers by James Kestrel. This was the winner of the 2022 Edgar Award for Best Novel about a police detective investigating a murder around the time of Pearl Harbor. Jade Legacy by Fonda Lee. This is the third book in the Green Bone Saga about the clans that battle for power over an East Asian-inspired city where Jade holds magic and holds power. The Midnight Brigade by Adam Borba, which I think I talked about on the show. This is a middle-grade book that came out last year that I loved. It's about a young boy whose father is finally chasing his dream of having a food truck. Unfortunately, the food truck is not very successful, and the young boy is very worried about what's going to happen. And then he sees something unusual in the middle of the night. More Myself, A Journey by Alicia Keys. This is the memoir from the incredibly talented and successful musician, her journey from fame at a young age, and how she discovered who she is away from the cameras. Unbound, My Story of Liberation and the Birth of the Me Too Movement by Tarana Burke. Burke is the founder of the Me Too Movement, which was the one of the largest cultural movements in history. Go Tell the Bees That I Am Gone by Diana Gabaldon. This is the most recent in the Outlander series. 
The Best Short Stories of 2022, the O. Henry Prize winners, edited by Valeria Luiselli and Jenny Minton Quigley. I think that one is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it's it's short, new short stories. Alive at the End of the World, Poems by Saeed Jones. Jones is the author of another poetry collection that won awards called Prelude to Bruise and the amazing memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives. There's also two other poetry collections I want to point out that are coming out today. These are all paperback originals. Your Emergency Contact Has Experienced an Emergency, which is such a great title, uh, by (laughs) Chen Chen, and Normal Distance by Elisa Gabbert. The Makeup Test by Jenny Howe, a romance about two exes who are battling for the same position in a PhD program. Lucky Girl, How I Became a Horror Writer, a Krampus Story by M. Rickert. If you don't know Krampus, he's like the opposite of Santa. He's mm-hmm. like the the Santichrist, I guess we would call him. Uh, this is about <laughs> a character who is very lonely at Christmas and has dinner with a group of strangers and someone decides to tell a ghost story. Bindle Punk Bruja by... Desideria Mesa. This is set in the 1920s. It's a fantasy novel. The blurb calls it Boardwalk Empire meets the Vanishing Half, which has me very intrigued. The Book Haters Book Club, which just hurts to say out loud, by Gretchen Anthony, about a bookstore owner who passes away and his business partner decides to sell the store, but then her family and his partner talk her out of it. And I have one more that I didn't write down that Vanessa doesn't know I'm going to say because I saved it just for her. Uh-oh. Also, also out today, The Secret Life of Fungi, Discoveries, ah, no. from, <laughs> Discoveries from a Hidden World by Aaliyah Whiteley. Uh, this is a nonfiction all about fungi, where you can find them, their different uses, and their history. Uh, Whiteley is also the author of two very fungi weird novels, or at least one of them is, uh, The Beauty, and then also uh, the novel Loosening Skin, which is another creepy, speculative mm-hmm. novel. And yeah, that is it for paperbacks that I'm going to tell you about today. I have a random anecdote here, <laughs> which is just that recently Kelly, our, our book writes Kelly, posted what I'm sure a lot of people found to be like a really cool picture of fungi growing in the wild. They were like gold colored. And I saw them and I was at my the office, but I, I work East Coast hours. So I was there really, really early in the morning, like 630. And I made <laughs> some sound that was something like, ah! Because like, I'm so ugh by fungi that someone came and did a wellness check on me from the building. <laughs> I was Oops. like, no, I'm fine. I just saw some fungi. So anyway, that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a really good book. And I did want to mention it, but I just thought I would give you know give you a yes. little thrill there at the end. So Excellent. those are books out today. What are you going to read next? So as I just mentioned, I am reading right now Gideon the Ninth. Very excited. So hopefully I get to finish that over the weekend. Uh, I also have started my next two books uh, in different form. Like I've, I've always got like an audio, an ebook, and a print. So the first I'm so excited about, it came out last week. It's called The Sunbearer Trials. It's a new Mexican-inspired fantasy from the author of my beloved Cemetery Boys. So speaking of tattoos, I also have a Day of the Dead tattoo that was sort of inspired by Cemetery Boys. And that's by Aiden Thomas. It's about like the... There's a sun god, and every decade, the sun's power has to be replenished. And so the gods hold, like, this... They pick, like, the ten most worthy semi-demigods. They're called semi-dioses in the book to complete in these trials. And, like, the winner, yay, great! Because, like, you get to carry the light to the temples of Reina del Sol or El Reino del Sol. Uh, But the loser has the, quote-unquote, greatest honor of all, and that's that you get to be sacrificed to the sun, to the sol. And then your body is melted down to refuel the sun. So, anyway, that sounds... 
really, really phenomenal. And it's, again, Mexican-inspired. And then I've also started The Enigma of Room 622 by Joel Dicker, translated from French by Robert Bonono. It's, uh, you know, had a lot of, like, for Agatha Christie fans vibes. And so, of course, I was in. It's about, a, like, a writer who is really disheartened about a breakup and the death of his beloved publisher. So he decides to flee to this like really fancy hotel in the Swiss Alps. And then once he gets there, he kind of inadvertently through a relationship with a woman that he meets there gets, goes down this rabbit hole of solving why the case of like why the hotel doesn't have a room 622. And that's because, you know, murder. So anyway, started in both of those and I'm excited. Plus Gideon. I have some good Gideon. reading in my future. Yay. How about you? I just started Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone by Benjamin Ooh. Stevenson, which is a great title. I saw it. I love following people on Instagram all over the place. So I saw it on an Australian bookstagrammer's account and like a long time ago. I was like, I want that. I want that. And, and they were like, oh, it's very Knives Out. And I was like, I want that. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I want that. And then <laughs> it finally is coming out uh, in the U.S. in... January of next year on the 17th. Uh, and I just started it and it's very gimmicky and I hope that the gimmick holds up. But supposedly the title is indeed true. Everyone in the main character's family has killed someone and we're going to find out why. Um, so that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, who has to fix so much for me today. <laughs> it's like Liberty 5000, Vanessa Zero. <laughs> There's can, still a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am friends and comes alive. If you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hugs and kittens to everyone who has done it and continues to do it. They're just so amazing. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.